coming on today everyone thank you everyone for joining my name is dr trish rampersad i am the core behavioral psychologist and i'd like everyone to welcome miss felicia singh <laughs> thank you so much for being on my podcast on my youtube channel i really appreciate you being here i'm just going to give a little intro on who felicia is and how amazing she basically is um so she took her time today to be here from a very, very busy schedule. She's an educator and the proud daughter of a working class immigrants, uh, immigrant parents and a lifelong resident of District 32. She ran for New York City Council on a platform of education and environmental justice, supporting taxi drivers and small businesses, transportation accessibility and community building. Um, Felicia is basically representing underserved populations, which includes the Indo-Caribbean community. Her mother is um, Indo-Caribbean Guyanese and her father is Punjabi. Um, she's been an educator and, ha and has diverse experience teaching abroad on Long Island and in New York City. Her teaching, teaching experience includes co-leading the developmental and implementation of culturally responsive teaching and professional development for teachers and staff. Shout out to all the educators out there. And her work inside and out of the classroom has been grounded in her firm commitment to empowering communities. She spent two years from 2013 to 2015 serving in the United States and in China with the Peace Corps. That's so amazing and so awesome. Um, and we have her here. She's done so much work. So thank you so much for coming. Can you tell us about yourself? Sure. Well, thank you, Dr. Ramprasad, for having me here. I'm really excited to be on your podcast. I've been listening and watching your previous shows, um, and they've been super insightful and just um, eye-opening about the ways our Indo-Caribbean community can be represented outside of, you know, the given stereotypes about who we are and, and what we believe in. So thank your, you so <laughs> your podcast, like, reshapes our culture in a lot of ways. So thank you for doing this work. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you for, thank you for um, acknowledging the work. You know, this podcast is created to build a platform for people like you are who are making such a big difference, and especially in our Indo-Caribbean community. And there's a lot of firsts that people are going to be learning about us, which is pretty awesome. Like, for example, um, I published the first study for Indo-Caribbean second generation Americans who uh, suffer from depression or mental health issues. And there's a study out there now published and I'm the first one to publish that. So it's I'm quite proud to give back to my community. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Look Thank at that. Yeah, and you're the first uh, Indo-Caribbean councilwoman or I think politician ever in the United States. I I mean, I think so. I, mean, I think so. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I think it's, it's such a, you know, when I was listening to you uh, present kind of like my bio, my biography, I was just like, whoa, whoa, this is, <laughs> everybody knows all these things about me now. And it's like, what else can I say after that, right? Right. Um, 
But I think what's really been such an amazing kind of just surreal moment in this win is that we did something that no one thought was possible. Absolutely. Literally, people told me this is not possible. You cannot win in an area dominated by a certain class of people or certain race of people, um, dominated by Trump Republicans, dominated by low resources. There's no way. Right. How are you feeling? How are you feeling with this win? You know, I feel so honored. I feel like this is the greatest, one of the greatest responsibilities of my life. Um, and one that I'm taking so incredibly seriously, you know, and, and like you as someone who, th- who, who looks at behavior, who looks at therapy, who looks at like brain development, yes, you know, this definitely has an impact on me emotionally and mentally too, because I think about like, there, there's a pressure standpoint, right. You know, yeah. delivering and being the first. And then also there is the constant story of struggle and story of the fight and the story of change that yeah. is both muddled in my brain because we have a fight that still continues now. Absolutely. I'm running in the only Republican district in Queens. GOP has held this seat for 12 years. Wow. So our general election is one of the most competitive general elections in New York City's history. We have never, we're never going to see a general election be this important than this, than besides the 2020 Trump versus Biden election and right. the 2016 Hillary versus Trump. Yes. But like here now, we're at the most local level, like everyone is going to be watching. Absolutely. And, and I'm so glad we have representation um, because a lot of Indo-Caribbeans and Indo-Caribbean Americans, small businesses, schools, they have t- we have taken over the community and in your district, District 32, and there was absolutely no representation for issues that Indo-Caribbeans were going through. So this is so enlightening. Like, I mean, talk about groundbreaking and, and history making. Here you are making history, and I think it's only the beginning. Um, what's it like for you to be where you're at? If you can tell us more about your upbringing with your dad who happened to be, happens to be a taxi driver. My dad, when he first came to this country, was a taxi driver too. Oh my God, really, we do have oh, a lot. For the New York City, he had a yellow cab. Yes, that was, yes, yes, it was one of his first jobs. He, he, of course, did odd jobs before, um, before he got his own um, taxi, but we have that in common. So can you tell us about your upbringing? So I grew up in an interfaith and intercultural home. My mom is from Guyana and she is Muslim and my dad is from Punjab and he is Sikh. Um, And I grew up in a working class family my entire life. I know the story of living paycheck to paycheck, unstable employment and mounting debt. That is the reality of so many of our communities, whether you're Indo-Caribbean, you're Punjabi, you're Latinx, you are black, that is the story of working class experiences. I've always known my father to be a taxi driver. He's been a taxi driver my entire life. And this is service work. You know, our working class communities across New York City do service work. We're essential workers. We're people who take care of other people's children. We're people who drive folks around. Um, And our city has really taken advantage of that. 
we are not include, you know, when we think about funding excluded workers, people who didn't get stimulus checks and are undocumented, but they're outside selling fruits and vegetables on the street corner. Right. There are people who um, are selling flowers. There are folks who, you know, flyer out in our communities. Yeah. These are folks who don't get included in the benefits of like being able to get a receive a stimulus check, but also have to pay taxes. Wow. And interesting. Here, the, these sets of people, us, people like us, have been forgotten deeply in this city. Absolutely. And so what we want is we need representation that's more than just acknowledging the shallow and surface level of, uh, of um, culture. Absolutely. So about surface and shallow level culture, we're thinking about, oh, well, what foods do people like to eat? And let's celebrate their holiday. And like, let's like name a street after somebody famous in their community. And that's it. That shuts them up for a little while. It keeps them down. They don't ask for more from us. But our problem is we don't ask for more. Right. That's and I believe that's why you're here. You know, this is this is a good thing. For example, they renamed Richmond Hill Little Guyana, which is great. But what is happening with our community, the Trinidadians, the Guyanese, the other Caribbean people? Are we getting you know what we deserve we put out so much into the community into new york city help build it up mm-hmm. are they getting the same treatment as other races and nationalities and cultures you know it, it does take a serious mental health toll on many of us absolutely and so when i talk about being a teacher when i talk about being a daughter of working class immigrants i'm talking about the intersectionality between being a working class immigrant in this city and knowing that education plays a large rooted factor in our upward mobility absolutely let's create neighborhoods they're the reasons why property value is where it is. It's the reason why people come and invest in our communities and buy homes and raise their families here. It's because of good schools. Exactly. If we don't have good schools to send our children, then what are we really doing if we're not fully funding our, 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 our child's experience and having a right to an education? Exactly. Well, we're not educating our communities about voting rights, about the importance of being politically involved. What are we doing when then these same communities need our elected officials to show up for them, but are being taken advantage of or dismissed or absolutely isolated from the electoral process. So that is why I talk about these two large pillars because not only do they represent a large factor in who I am, they are the most important factors when it comes to representation. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Can you tell us more about how you were raised and was this a calling for you? I know that I did read up on on what happened to your family's house. If you can also say a little bit more about that, because I believe that was the trigger that got you going. And that's just so powerful. It's such a powerful story for people to hear because, you know, people need housing and and that's part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in mental health. You need to have housing, shelter, love, um, these sort of things, and that's a necessity. So can you say more about how how your calling came to be? Yeah, you know, I had, I'm really lucky to be raised by two parents who literally were like, you can be anything you want to be. Like my father would envision these things about me that I could do that I just like, no, I don't want to do that. He's like, Uh you can be a gymnast and a doctor and a lawyer at the same time. And I'm like, (laughs) That's no. awesome. <laughs> it's to have supportive parents like that. Awesome, especially in our community. Right. 
and my mom is always tells me you have an idea spread your wings and fly and just do it and that knowledge is power and you have to use it to do good because what happens with knowledge is it's also dangerous right we have people who take it who know things and take advantage of knowing oh i just experienced that yeah those yeah and they will use your so a lot of people use people of color's knowledge and use it as their own and don't give credit and that's just so unfortunate because why not why not give credit where credit is due because it's a person of color because you can take advantage of this particular culture um you know what happened to my family was something that was created by our city over time you know, when taxi, when medallions were like on the market, they were sold by predatory lenders at, you know, here's a loan, here's a medallion, you get to own a small business, you can retire on it in a couple of years for millions of dollars and you'll be set. And this was the idea, this was the middle-class ticket that was sold to us. But really it was a ticket of deep intergenerational debt. Um, So my father purchased a medallion in the late 1980s. Then when we saw with the influx of Uber and Lyft, well, with the housing market crash in 2008, it really had a deep impact on being able to own a medallion because homes were also put up for foreclosure as well at the same time. Wow. Have a medallion, that is like another mortgage. So you could have on your hands the debt of two mortgages um, at that point. Then fast forward to 2013 to 2015 with the influx of Uber and Lyft, Lyft as corporations here in the city, they yeah. didn't have to purchase a medallion to drive a taxi, the corporation. They could just put hundreds of taxis out on the street and not enough people taking taxis. So ride hail became the, the way, the new way to get a taxi and mm-hmm. frankly, a cheaper way to get to, to get right around the near, the city or the borough. And this uh-huh. was really crushing to medallion owners because they were the people who mobilized our city. Right. Um, and so- And they also paid them like a second mortgage for the they, medallion, they, like you said. Were, right, so you have wow. medallion owners who mm-hmm. then all of a sudden were really, really losing income because they could no longer pay their medallion plus their bills, plus fees. And we saw in 2018, eight uh, taxi drivers who, and this is a trigger warning for anyone who's listening at this point to pause or skip forward, um, eight taxi drivers who died by suicide. That is really, that's so sad. Really sad, terribly, terribly, terribly sad. And still our city did nothing, nothing to relieve and, and provide debt relief. You know, we had a, we have an organization called Your Taxi Workers Alliance, which is a union. Mm-hmm. My father's been a part of. I've been, I used to go to union meetings with him, uh, just to to be in community with people and be like, "What's going on? I don't understand this." But as the eldest daughter of immigrants, I right. have to, I have to be a part of taking care and figuring this out. So okay. I would go to unions meetings with them, and it was just this somber but also hopeful meeting where it's like. Here's the terrible news, but here's all of the actions we can take to fix fix this. And folks in this union are just the most passionate people, loving, caring people I've ever met in my life. To keep pushing forward no matter what, death after death after death, you know, failure from our elected official after failure. Um, Then we, you know, when the pandemic hit, 
we had already had 950 plus taxi drivers who filed for bankruptcy before the pandemic. My, My father was one of them. In 2019, he filed for bankruptcy. And then during the pandemic, in about April time or summertime, the, the lender seized our medallions. So he could no longer drive his taxi. So he was unemployed for about three to four months. Then, without any notice, on February 5th, the bankruptcy court put a for sale sign on my house and threatened to evict us in 90 days if we did not come up with a settlement amount of $250,000 or more. That's devastating. I'm so it, sorry. It was that. devastating. It was devastating. It was scary. It was one of the most just shocking and livid things to have happened because one, it's happened to many people before. Right, right. Um, it will continue to happen. The United States Bankruptcy Court was one of the only courts that was open during a pandemic. So this is a business, right? This is- They kept going, it was, it was open, yes. Yeah, they weren't closed, like family court was closed and you know other types of courts were closed because right. they were absolutely fully functional during, this, the, during the pandemic. You know, and so I had a platform already because I'd already been running for office. I was declared since 2019 and, you know, trying to build up um, fundraise and things like that. And at this point in 2021, it was my election year. And right. this just happened in the middle of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to share this story of deep vulnerability with people. And right. maybe it's a story that's going to speak to somebody else who's going through this. And we did it and it was really hard because, you know, you have journalists writing about your finances, you have right. the intense questions, you have people who are like, oh, well, this is your fault. You shouldn't have done this or this thing or support, you know, we had all types of reactions, but the biggest, most heartfelt was the majority of, of love that came out from this awesome. um, hope and solidarity and fighting. You know, I had, I already knew that I had a fighter in me because my parents are fighters. But I really saw the fight in me when this happened because Amazing. I was like, there is no way we can allow this to happen to another family again. Absolutely. And my reason for running became even more important because I knew that the stories of the most working class are absolutely missing from city council because if they, if they were there, this would have never happened in the first place. It, there would be major changes. That, so that's why you're in it. So this is very, very important for changes. And your story is so powerful. And it's, and it's a story of so many in the Indo-Caribbean community and, and people who, who are uh, first-generation um, Americans, second-generation Americans. It's so, so powerful. And, I'm, and you're right. Hope and solidarity bringing people together will bring change. It will. How are we going to make change if there's no representation, no voice? And um, you, you know, it's you're, it's just such a blessing. I'm just so happy that you have parents that uplifted you, and your dad who said you could do anything that you wanted. I, I do have a question about the eight um, taxi drivers who committed suicide. Has the city done anything as far as implementing any programs or reaching out to the families of of those um, eight individuals? It's, it's a very sad story and one that's too common. The best thing our city can do mm -hmm. is relieve the debt. Absolutely. That is the best thing. Condolences, sending me flowers, sending people flowers, right. uh, creating a, this is, uh, the city created um, the New York legal aid um, system to help folks with bankruptcy. That's not a really good program either in itself. Some people have benefited from it and it has been helpful. Some people haven't. 
But at the end of the day, debt relief and a plan via New York Taxi Workers Alliance, which, which calls for the city to take $75 million to restructure the debt to $125,000, where we, we would be paying less than $800 a month with 4% interest, is the way to go. It's not even debt relief, it's a restructuring of debt. You know, and that's that's something that's like the basic necessity that we need yes. right now. Well, relieving of the debt would also empower people to also keep building this city up if they're of of um, good or positive mind, body, soul, and spirit. If their mental health is in check, and debt can be very stressful, especially. Um, for taxi drivers, for people who are immigrants, for first and second generation Americans. So I totally agree with you on that. Are you the first one to bring this, um, to bring this to um, New York City, to let them be aware that this needs to happen? Are you the first yeah, one? New York Taxi Workers Union, which is right. New York Taxi Workers Alliance, mm -hmm. they are the ones who created the plan. They have the plan approved by our attorney general and our, our comptroller. They've had the plan for years and our city hasn't had the courage or the will to go ahead and adapt this same plan. Why? Because we prioritize predatory lending. We prioritize banks and corporations over working class people. That's exactly. so unfortunate. That's so unfortunate. I'm glad you're speaking up because people who aren't aware are aware now. Now, predatory lenders, can you say more about that? Yeah, so predatory lending happens when a home, when a family or an individual is at risk of losing their home. And what ends up happening is, and I'll, I'll talk about this in the context of lien sales. A lot of our Indo-Caribbean community lives in Richmond Hill. And Richmond yeah. Hill, that city council district 28, has one of the largest tax lien sales in any part of our city. And in Queens, in fact. You know, my family was one of the first people who lived in Richmond Hill. And a couple of my family members own businesses there. And um, this is mind boggling to hear that there it's the most liens, tax liens you said mm -hmm. there. Yes. So tax liens are placed on a home when the property owner um, cannot pay utilities for a long time or cannot pay their property tax. And the city will then turn the home over to a trust who will put a lien on the home. Now, the lien on the home is a very scary place to be because that means like someone else technically could owns a share of your house. Right. Um, and you go on a list that is public that says like these are all of the homes that have tax lien, like a lien sale on them. Right. And so predatory lenders look at this same list. And they go to your home and they say, hey, we're so sorry this is happening to you. We know that it's pivotal that you save your home. Here's a loan of 250000 or whatever that amount is. Right. With an interest rate of 12 or some obscene percentage. So now you have seen. Oops. You froze Keeping their home so they're not evicted. Where else could you go? And they then invest in this predatory lending. And that's what happened with the medallion too. It was like, hey, here's this really, really great business deal. Yeah. All you have to do is take out a loan of 250000 or whatever was offered to you by that lender. Right. And this is, our interest was 12%. Little did we know, fast forward 20, 30 years later, that ends up being $645,000. Oh and my the market is not 
viable for you to pay that back because you don't, you're not getting any rides. You know, no one's riding a taxi right now, especially exactly. during the pandemic. So ridership has dropped 80%. You're taking maybe a whole day to make 20 to $30. Then you pay gas, maybe you're hungry. You're coming home with $15 in your pocket. And if you have a family, that's not feasible. That is not feasible. No way. So no lending happens in so many types of ways. It can happen through healthcare. It can help like trying to pay a healthcare bill. It can happen through trying to keep your home in multiple ways. It can happen through a small business, being able to try and save your small business. And it's absolutely dangerous. And we don't allow, our city refuses to create, to stop the market for that. Yeah. You know, because we don't want to take responsibility of now taking care of that debt. But they are, the city is aware that this is happening and no action has been taken place yes. at all. Okay. Nothing at all. This is like, this has been happening for decades now in the city where we've allowed predatory lending to happen for taxi drivers. What can we do as a community to help stop this, to help you out? This is more than just helping me. This is about really understanding yeah. what our city does to benefit our community. So what, whatever it is that you, you feel like is the problem in your community or whatever it is that you feel like you're facing that's a deeply systemic issue, right? that is something our city could have or should be fixing. And that is when you're going to your elected official, you're saying, hey, this exists. Who is in charge of really fixing this or changing it? Because you've got the state level elected officials, you have your city level elected officials, yeah. you have your federal level elected officials. They all do different things. They all have jurisdiction on different things and they all need to be pushed and held accountable. Absolutely. And I think it's a change of mindset too. Their mindset needs to be changed because if it's the same redundant thinking over and over again, no changes will happen in the community. People will not be, there's no education out there for people to be aware about the high interest rates and what have you with the predatory lenders. So this is really, really powerful that you're speaking up about this. I mean, this is really, really good. Thank you for sharing that. What other changes would you like to see happen um, as you take on your role? So we are currently in a deep climate crisis. Every time it rains heavy in this city, yeah. there yeah. is flooding everywhere. Flooding everywhere, yeah. Flooding everywhere. I mean, we saw those, I don't know if folks who are listening are on Twitter or saw these videos of people trying to get into the subway and it's the water's up to your house. The water was coming down. Actually, someone, yeah, someone showed um, Universal Studios how it's like a movie scene where water is flooding, but it was reality like when last two weeks yes. ago in the New York City subway system. So this will get worse until we do something about reducing our carbon emissions, creating infrastructure throughout our city at all levels to mitigate and adapt to the climate crisis. I live in a coastal district and something I wanna, I love drawing this comparison, but if you're from Guyana or you're from Trinidad and Tobago, Tobago or you're from Suriname or Jamaica, yeah. you all live in coastal districts. Yeah, you wow. all live in an area surrounded by water. <laughs> so you're not even back in the island. You're in you're not even you're not even back in the island. You are in New York City. You're not even in the Caribbean. You're in New York City. 
Right. No, Guyana is prone to deep flooding. We saw what's been happening in the last couple of months with flooding. There's been a lot of aid going to Guyana to help folks. Right. But that is going to continue to happen if nations and cities do not take reducing carbon emissions seriously and learning how to mitigate and really adapt to climate change. And so I am the only candidate in this race that has been relentlessly speaking about um, climate crisis this entire duration of my candidacy. And I will continue to do that because Absolutely. if we don't take deep measures to changing the way we live here in New York City, right. we're gonna pay for that, whether you're Republican or Democrat, whether you're someone who cares about politics or not, whether you're youth or someone elderly, we're gonna pay for it with flooding, mm-hmm. with being really pushed out of our communities, with being with unfortunately, you know, at the highest peak of a climate crisis comes death, right? right? Health related issues. So this is this is a the the deepest intersectional issue facing us right now, and we're not talking about it enough, and we're not doing enough about it. We are too busy not taking this seriously and just talking about the weather, but the weather and the climate and climate are different conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. What can people do to get on board to help with this issue as well? Yeah. As, well, first of all, because if you're the only if you're the only um, councilwoman, the only person in office that's discussing this and putting it out there, clearly there needs to be more advocacy, more people alongside you. So what can people do? I'm really lucky to have a coalition of other candidates running across the city for climate champions who really want to talk about climate change and will be champions of that. In my race, though, I cannot win and I cannot get there if I don't win this November election. Right. I've won the Democratic primary. That's great. Awesome. That's great. Right. But it won't mean anything if I don't win this November election against right. a Republican who is not having any conversations about the climate crisis at all. So what I want us to do and what I want us to make sure we're aware of is that you as an individual can absolutely play a role in cutting carbon emissions. And here's how. One, you want to join local organizations that already exist that talk about the climate crisis. One of them is called the Sunrise Movement. The Sunrise Movement is a national organization and a local New York City and has a New York City chapter of youth who are pushing legislators, lobbying legislators, really teaching our communities about climate crisis. And we need to grow our membership in South Queens. South Queens needs to care about climate change because we are the closest to the water. In fact, my district is the most vulnerable district in all of Queens because we are coastal community. My entire district encompasses most of the Rockaways, which was- I was gonna ask you, can you list the different um, areas for your district? I've got got Woodhaven, Ozone Park, South Ozone Park, Mm -hmm. a small portion, very small portion of Richmond Hill. Mm-hmm. We've got Howard Beach, we've got Broad Channel, we have Naponset, Rockaway Park, Rockaway Beach, mm-hmm. we have uh, Bell Harbor, Breezy Point, we have an entire section um, of, uh, encompassing about 13 neighborhoods, largest landmass, one of the biggest city council districts in New York City as well, um, right. and really, really segregated and diverse uh, on top of that. So we're, we were terribly impacted by Hurricane Sandy. Terrible. Right. Like right. We the streets on fire. Oh and my gosh. Line up to go and get gas, you know, because everything. I, I think that was, that was shown in the media. I don't, yes, I don't, I don't. Absolutely. yes, yes. So this is, this is 
it's a it's terribly scary and we're the front line to rising tides and deep flooding and like we need to make sure we have a plan in New York City not just for us but the entire city so again like I said join local organizations that are going to teach you about the climate crisis if you want to know more Two, our uh, mayor de Blasio recently reinstated curbside composting so if you want to help by you know the amount of trash we throw out here in New York City and the food right if my dad was in the food business so he with the ice in manhattan and, and in new yeah i the trash is astounding how much trash astounding right but, but the most astounding part is how much comp like food that we waste that could be composted and reused right to trees to grow plants to grow flowers throughout our city um and so what we want to do here is you can re-enroll in composting and what will happen is you'll get the brown bin if you don't already have it and sanitation will pick up that brown bin and you just put all of your scraps in there eggshells any roti you didn't eat yesterday whatever it is that you eat roti um, dal curry chicken whatever you left off you know the like, whatever you left off, put it inside the composting bin and our um sanitation will come and pick it up or maybe you'll be assigned a place to drop it off but at the end of the day you have to manually enroll uh, yeah. to do this work so that's one way you could participate or two ways rather the third of course is making sure you as yourself are reducing the amount of waste you use you yeah. know whenever you can use a reusable cup whenever you can avoid using plastics whenever you can avoid using straws um i think you know there's a lot of education behind our hindu community and what how they they perform ceremonies, which, you know, is a part of the religion, but also right. like dumping, you know, yeah, all the flowers and stuff in flowers the, uh, and that in the ocean actually comes back to haunt us later because animals are impacted by that. It pollutes our water, you mm -hmm. know, and we've got to find different ways to be able to still be, you know, Hindu or still practicing without also harming our, our earth, you know, and harming our animals. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of endangered species in our district too. District 32, we have Jamaica Bay Wildlife Refuge here. And we also have the beach. If you come to Rockaway Beach, please take care of my beach. Like, right. pick up after yourself. <laughs> right, pick up you after know? yourself. Absolutely, yeah. We are, we are one of the largest tourist attractions in the summer. We have people traveling from every part of New York City and the world and the, the United States to come to our beach. Right. And we have endangered species like the piping plovers who are on the beach and literally they're they're literally marked as endangered, but people are walking um, in places that are designated not to be walked in. We're touching animals, we're feeding animals, mm -hmm. we're leaving trash behind. All of this impacts um, endangered spe species on the beach as well. So these are the some some of the small ways you can play right. a role. In, in really mitigating and adapting to climate crisis, but like educate yourself and really, really learn about what our city can do to push this forward. Anytime we have a bill on the floor in right. city council, you know, be the one, the first one to ask your council member, are you gonna co-sponsor this? Are you gonna sign on to this? This is important to me. I am your constituent. And this is really what yeah. they say. And they can basically contact their local representative exactly. online, email. Exactly. Yes. You and we all can coexist together at Christian Hindu, on Christian Hindu, we can all coexist together and come together and help out with climate change and 
and everything and, and help better educate ourselves and each other. So that's really powerful. I didn't also know that our beaches in Queens were one of the number one tourist attractions yeah. in the city. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Beautiful. I mean, go to Rockaway Beach, like right. Beach, that's, a, that's in my district. You go to, um, to Fort Tilden area, if you go to Rockaway Beach, that's all majority district 32. And we share you know, entire peninsula, I share, I would share it with uh, District 31 as well. So right. like there, this is all beach, this is all a beach neighborhood and community. And so taking care of it as a city is so important. Right. And now November coming, what do people need to do for the election if people aren't aware? So if you live in District 32, we, the most number one thing we, you can do is vote you have to vote in this general election. This general election is historical. It is pivotal to representation. You know, my, it's pivotal to not getting the same thing again. For the last 12 years, we've had the same representation where we've been forced. We haven't been a fighter in city hall. We haven't had representation that's equitable to the communities that live here. And you can change that with your vote on November 2nd, 2021. Go out and vote. What For the general election, you don't have to be registered as a Republican or a Democrat. You could be registered as no party. You could be registered as an independent, working families, whatever, and vote any way you want. So if you're a Republican, you can vote Democrat. If you're a Democrat, you can vote Republican. So there's no like crazy jurisdiction like there is in the primary where you have to be registered a Republican or a Democrat to vote in the primary. Here with the general election, it's anyone's game. So what I need is our community to understand how pivotal it is to vote in this general election, to vote for me, a candidate who's going to really represent our communities, and to do that with your family. Bring as many people, make it a party. We show up for the fun things in our community. Absolutely, yes. for the signs to be changed, for the curry competitions, for Pagua, we need to show up <laughs> for voting. That's what we need to do. Um, because finally in history, you know, being in the in New York City for so long, mm-hmm. our communities have been here since the 1970s. For the first time in our lives, you will have absolutely. Like Absolutely. if that doesn't blow your mind, like I don't yes. know what else will at this point. I'm telling you, it's, it's true. Like, hello. Here for a long time. Right. I mean, Alicia's ready to get to work. She threw her hair up. She I is did. I did. I was she like, passionate. <laughs> um, and so then fun. if you don't live in District 32, here's right. how you can help. You can donate at to my campaign at Felicia2021.com/slash/donate. And if you can't give, that's okay too come and volunteer at Felicia2021.com slash volunteer. Uh, We need as many people knocking on doors, calling voters, uh, hosting meet and greets in this community, helping us talk to small businesses. If you could connect me to somebody else that lives here, even if it's your own family, go ahead and do that. I wanna meet them. That's what I've been doing. That's how I won this democratic primary, by meeting people where they are in their homes, on the phone, at meet and greets, at fundraisers. So this is the work. Um, I'm ready to do it because I've been doing it and I need you to join. Absolutely. And she's an educator. Me being a fellow educator, I, I've worked in Oakland public school system in San Francisco and now, you know, and, and, um, and in New Jersey as well. So for me to see a fellow educator 
doing this. I mean, hit the ground running. It's so powerful. It's just so, so powerful. Um, what do you do for self-care since you're such a busy woman and you're, and you have a powerful voice? What do you do for self-care? You know, I, I really appreciate you asking me this. And a lot of people have been asking me this lately, actually. Um, I've just been finding myself sleeping a lot. Like I've been sleeping a ton, a ton, a ton. And a part of me is like trying, I think it's my body trying to catch up on months, years of doing this work right? and having the inability to rest. And the other part of it is like, oh my God, I'm also preparing my body to do this in the next two and a half months. You know, the election's November, it's, it's July. We have August, September, October to get as many voters out to the polls as possible. Right. And that means I have to prepare my body to knock on thousands of doors again. You know, for the primary, we knocked on 22 plus thousand doors, 22,000 wow. plus doors. We're going to triple that <laughs> in three and a half months. So all, so I'm like trying to prepare my mind, my body, my soul right. to, to fight, to win this election. Um, and it's both scary and, and thrilling and exciting at the same time so a lot of my time is spent like in quiet spaces trying to just like sleep and 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 rest um and not over exerting myself right now mm -hmm. um so that's what i'm doing for self-care at the moment rest and sleep is so powerful mm -hmm. it's so powerful for your mental health for your brain for your for your capacity and how much you can handle people do need to rest more. It's good for your mental health and it's good for a woman like yourself, um, Guyanese uh, American and Punjabi American, you know, anything else you'd like to let um, us know that you, that you felt like you left out that we should know about you and your cause before we. Well, I, I always say this when I talk, when I know I'm talking to an audience within the South Asian diaspora, particularly the Indo-Caribbean community. Mm -hmm. And I say this because a lot of the times folks are like, no, nah, I don't want to be political. I, I don't get involved in politics or politics is not for me. I just want to work and get my money and like take care of my family and I want a simple, happy life. But I say this every time and I'm going to do it again. Everything you have and everything you don't have is a political decision made by somebody else that's not you. Wow. Everything. Say that again. Yes, I will. I always repeat it twice. <laughs> everything you have and everything you don't have is a political decision made by somebody else that's not you. Oh. How much money you make, how fast you can get to work, whether or not you have a school holiday that's based on your religion, whether or not you get your garbage picked up in time, whether or not your community is clean, gun violence, whether or not the cops come on the time that you need them to when you call. Um, no matter what you're going through in your life, that is a decision made by somebody else. So when you don't vote and when you don't raise your voice and fight, no, there's no way you can get the upward mobility you deserve without those things. I'm telling you that's so on point. You're so right. You know, you're so right. And with all of that, you know, this, you know, COVID happened and here you are, you know, making history, using your voice, 
so then we can have a voice exactly what you said the decisions that are made for us are political decisions they're not made by us so this is just so powerful that this is coming from you you know during covid Mm -hmm. you know, it's just it's a very life-changing for many people and i hope people's eyes will open um to other issues people get out of their bubble you know and really see what else is part of new york city and the indo-caribbean community and i want to thank you so much for coming on it was such a pleasure thank you thank, you, thank you so much thank you thank you listeners. thank you and if anyone wants to get in touch with you can you say your website again or your email it's felicia 2021.com and my email is info at felicia2021.com thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening this is dr trisha ramprasad the core behavioral psychologist and i hope to see you and hear from you next time bye bye, bye felicia singh take care bye